Storytelling is the language of leadership, but it's not a language most of us were ever taught in school. In this episode, the four mistakes to avoid so we can leverage storytelling to lead people better. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 553. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Of course, one of the most important parts of language for leaders is the language of storytelling. Storytelling opens up so many opportunities for us to communicate more effectively, and I don't think I've ever run into anyone who's risen up against the power of storytelling, and yet it is a skill that so many of us struggle with or we don't realize how we can enter into being more effective at storytelling. Today, we're going to look at some of the biggest mistakes that leaders make with storytelling, how to move past them, and to take some practical steps to really get the value of storytelling inside organizations. I'm so glad to welcome back to the show our resident storytelling expert, David Hutchins. David helps leaders find and tell their stories. He works with leaders around the world to find, craft, and tell their most urgent stories for the purpose of creating shared meaning preserving culture, disseminating learning, and speeding change in organizations. He has taught the Storytelling Leader Program at some of the most influential organizations, and he's written many books, including The Circle of the Nine Muses and The Leadership Story Deck. He's the co-creator with longtime friend of the show, Susan Gerke, of the Go Team Program. And he's also the author of the new book, Story Dash, Find, develop, and activate your most valuable business stories in just a few hours. David, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome back. All right, Dave. This is this is a, a treat. Thank you so much. We've had some good times over the years, haven't we? Uh, we have had a lot of good times over the years. I think this is your fourth appearance on the show. Every time you're on, we have such a great response. In fact, last time, I think we sold out you on Amazon of the story deck, and it was weeks that people needed to wait to get it. So um, thank you so much for just being so helpful to our audience over the years. And, and you know, as I was reflecting on our past conversations... I actually am not sure that I have ever asked you about your own origins with storytelling and how you got started in this work. I was wondering if maybe you could share a bit of that. Good. Okay. That's a great place to start. So I I actually began my career in the advertising industry. I was a, a copywriter for big advertising agencies in Dallas, Texas, and in Atlanta. And I was spending 60 hours a week writing about hamburgers and writing about floor wax and cellular service and things that I wasn't excited about. And I was getting burned out really fast as a 21-year-old. And I knew I wanted to write about leadership and innovation. So I quit my job at the ad agencies so that I could write about organizations and, and teams. And so today, I, you know, I still think of myself as an ad guy in some ways. You know, I, I used to, you know, I learned early in my career, if I tell a story, people will buy more Coca-Cola, right? And so now today, instead of selling consumer products, I help ideas move through organizations, partly by telling stories. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned 
sales because I think sometimes we hear the word sales and we see that as a a bad word or a word of like manipulation. And the reality is is that's not really what I think of when I think of sales. I think of sales as really connecting someone's needs, the things that either an individual or an organization with someone that can help to answer those needs and to do that well. And every leader needs to be able to have that skill set. And storytelling is one of the places that can really help make those connections. And yet, so many leaders don't really leverage the power of story, at least not in the way that would help them to really see some of those key results. And we've highlighted, and we're going to highlight today, I think, some of the key mistakes that leaders tend to make. And first and foremost, you say, is that the biggest mistake leaders make is they're not telling stories. That's a that's a huge mess, isn't it? Exactly. So number one mistake that I see leaders make with storytelling is they don't do it. They're not telling stories. And so maybe that sounds kind of obvious, but this is a great place to start, is that you should be telling stories. If you're listening to this, you should be telling stories. One of the organizations that I've been working with is NASA, uh, working with their their scientists. And and they're really, really smart people, really good with data. And they show up with slides all the time. I mean, they've they've got these slide decks. They have 50 slides full of of data and charts. So I was was working with this. This was a young scientist. This was just a few weeks ago. Stuart was his name. And he was showing me his research around the climate science that he's doing. And he was showing me the graphs and the, the, the slides and man, I I just barely understood what he was talking about. I was feeling kind of dumb. And we were trying, I was trying to get him to tell stories. And he, he kept showing me more data. He couldn't make that leap. And so he, here's, here's one of the questions I've started using with science and data people. And I used to be a little bit embarrassed by this question, but but now I've learned to trust it. I call it the geek question. And so as Stuart was showing me all the slides, I kind of interrupted and said, so, Stuart, when you were doing this research, what what was the part of the work that was cool? That's my geek question. What's the part of the work that was cool? And, and Stuart goes, well, I mean, what do you mean? I, I was I was following a, a protocol. I was just doing the work. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. But was there a part where you geeked out, where, where you got excited about it? And he goes, well... Since you mention it, and, and here's what he told me. This this is just a few weeks ago. He he said, you know, so this this research I'm doing, we're we're studying a gas that that evaporates really quickly in the atmosphere, and that it makes it hard to study. So what I did was, he said, I chartered a private plane to take me up over the the clouds, and you know, we're really high up in this little plane. So I'm wearing an oxygen mask, and I've got my spectrometer in the lap, in my lap, and I'm looking out the window and trying to get over these these gas clouds so I can measure it. He said the part that was really cool was I had my team on the ground in a Jeep, and I was talking to them by radio, giving them the coordinates. And so they're trying to speed around, get underneath the plane while I'm above the gas, and they're shooting their spectrometer up, and I'm sh- I'm shooting mine down. And he said, because of our team's coordination, we got the most accurate data for this kind of gas that anybody at NASA has ever gotten. Huh. And he paused. (laughs) And then he looked at me kind of surprised at what had just come out of him. You know, Mm. he was surprised at what he heard himself saying. And then he said, 
should I put that in the presentation? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that's that's great. Right? I was like, how about if you delete the last 10 slides and say that instead? Uh, right. And yeah. and so this is a lot of the work that I do is is helping leaders re-engage with this this natural language that they already have. You know, Stuart didn't think originally that that story had anything to do with the work that he was doing. Mm, yeah, but, indeed. You know, NASA is a government organization. They, they have to go to Congress and ask for for money. And they keep showing up with slides. And I'm saying, tell them those stories. Let us see who you are. So that's number one for your, your listeners. Number one mistake is not telling stories. Use this language you already have. Tell us about the work that you're doing and why you care about it. Well, this is a perfect lead into some of the common objections you highlight in the Story Dash book. And as I was reading through the objections that people come up with, uh, and you hear I know often, and I do too, I was like, yep, I hear that all the time. And one of the things that people say often is, okay, I, I get it. Like, I would like to be a storyteller. I understand the value of that. I get that that's a good leadership competency to have, but I'm not a storyteller. And when you run into that objection, what do you say to people? Yeah, I, I love it when people say that because it's the it's the most demonstrably false objection in the storytelling work. Because you are a storyteller. Think about having dinner last night with your spouse, or if you went out for drinks with your friends last night. I guarantee you, somebody sitting at the table told a story of what happened that day or something mm -hmm. crazy that happened years ago. And then somebody else said, Ooh, that happened to me too. And then you said, Ooh, ooh I've got one. And pretty soon everybody is jumping in with this language. That is story. This is language. We already have story is your brain's operating system for making sense of the world. And I always tell people, you know, I, I don't do public speaking training. You know, I'm not going to teach you presentation skills. You know, Stuart is is not an amazing public speaker, but he's an incredibly genuine and authentic guy when he's talking about work that he cares about, when he's accessing this natural language of telling stories. Which is what this is about, is authenticity. It's not about getting on stage or trying to be dramatic. And in fact, that's one of the other objections I think you mentioned in the book is people feel like they need to get up and put on this performance or all of a sudden they're like in a high school play again. And in fact, you you really challenge people that that's not the case, right? Maybe it's the word storytelling. It's I mean, it's kind of a weird word to be using, isn't it? You know, storytelling. It, it does sound like a performance or it you know makes you think of reciting, memorizing a, a story that you've written. And, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm performing either. You know, I, I just want to talk about things that I care about. I want to tell you what happened and then talk about what I think it means and then invite you into that conversation. What did you hear? What do you think it means? So, yeah, it's not a performance. It's it's the language of leadership. It's the language of connection. And speaking of leadership, of course, there is purpose behind why we tell stories that goes beyond what we might say to a spouse or a friend in a casual conversation is in a leadership lens, there's a strategic intent to it, the why I'm telling the story, right? What's important about the why, the strategic intent? Beautiful. So so now we're at mistake number two that, that leaders make in storytelling. Mistake number two is 
leaders tell stories without connecting to an outcome or to a strategic intent. And this is important to talk about because when I work with leaders, this is where we spend the most time is after the leader tells a story, they they make a statement at the end and say, I think this story says something. And then you you say with your language, with your words, what, what that is. And this is what differentiates leadership storytelling from entertainment storytelling is, you know, if if you go watch a, a David Lynch movie, you know, if you saw Mulholland Drive or, or Eraserhead, you know how at the end you think, I don't know what the heck that movie was about, right? You're totally confused. David Lynch loves that. That That is a success. He doesn't want to tell you what the movie means or how to interpret it. We're not doing that as leaders. We're not here to, to entertain. We are here to align. And so we make this connection, this strategic intent. So one example, a guy who's really smart at this work is, a, a, is Steve Denning. He was a leader at World Bank in the 1990s. And he's also one of the really smart thinkers in the modern knowledge management movement. And so Steve says that, you know, back in the 90s, when this idea, knowledge management was still a new idea, he had a hard time getting excitement around it. He, he, he had a presentation that he made going all around the world to all the different World Bank offices to say, hey, we need to invest in this new capability. And Steve said people found the idea, his language was generally incomprehensible and strange. So he, he was frustrated. He, he couldn't get any traction around this idea of uh, knowledge management. And Steve says one day he stepped up in front of an audience and he did something different. He changed his message for the first time. And this is what he said to the audience. And I'm reading this because he captures this in his book, called The Springboard, How Storytelling Ignites Action in Knowledge-Era Organizations. So here's what Steve said to his audience. Listen to this. He goes, in June of last year, a health worker in a tiny town in Zambia went to the website of the Centers for Disease Control and got an answer to a question about the treatment of malaria. Remember that this was in Zambia, one of the poorest countries in the world. But the most striking thing about this picture, at least for us, is that our company, World Bank, isn't in it. Despite our know-how on all kinds of poverty-related issues, that knowledge isn't available to the millions of people who could use it. Imagine if it were. Think what an organization we could become. That was it. That's, that's the story he told. It was like a minute and a half. That story, he says, was the beginning of transformation for World Bank. There was something about that story that that flipped the audience, where at the end they said, why don't we have this capability? What's the holdup? Right. They like surrounded him. They were like now accusing him. Why don't we have this? So now the strange idea is the urgent idea. And Denning says the Zambia story created that. I mean, he was so stunned by it that he ended up writing a book about the power of storytelling, where where he wanted to, you know, do some inquiry around what happened. Why did the Zambia story generate that moment, that catalyst for transformation? Yeah, it's it's really a powerful example of the strategic intent behind it. And I pulled out a, a short paragraph you wrote in the book about this. And you write, at the end of the story, the leader says, 
there's a reason I told you this. I think that it's something important. Then you have to say with your words what that thing is. You can't trust that your audience has landed on the conclusion you wanted. They won't. Stories are so rich in meaning. Your audience's minds are spinning towards infinitely unpredictable conclusions until you bring them all together. I read that and I thought, yes, and that's something that I see people miss a lot is they tell an amazing story and then they don't say the last part, which I heard in the example you just gave and and you write about is the why is this important? Why did I just tell you this story? to bring it back. And that seems like just such a key finishing point to make sure that you bring it back and you connect it back to the intention, right? Yeah. It, so for those who are who, who are thinking about the Steve Denning story, you know, maybe you heard it. He made a connection at the end. And often that connection can be in the form of an invitation, right? We don't have this capability. I just described to you Imagine if we did. And he said, think what an organization we could become. So he's, he's using some directive language. Imagine, think. And that's really powerful. So when I work with leaders, I, I like to use a believe, feel, do structure. When we talk about this, you know, this reason for story, telling the story, it's believe, feel, do. And believe is... I want you to believe that the earth science team at NASA is engaged and enthusiastic and creative or feel. I want you to feel urgency for this new capability called knowledge management that we don't have. And then do. I want you to think of what's possible and then engage in a conversation with me. Right. So story is this is this language that speaks to the emotional system and it is language for belief, feeling, and then action. And you can bring all of those into the connection that you make at the end of your story. Which is a great lead into the third mistake that leaders make, which is not having emotional content in the stories. And you write, organizations are emotional systems. If you're seeking to influence people to action using data, You've grabbed the wrong tool from the toolbox. You need another language. When you think about that, David, the emotional piece, what does that sound like? You know, I, I do a lot of work with European leaders, a lot of work across Germany and in France. And European leaders can, can struggle with this even more than American leaders do. But American leaders struggle with this as well. This idea of, of emotion in leadership and, you know, it's a style thing. Some leaders have no trouble with it at all. But on the whole, there's something about putting a leader up on a stage where suddenly they want to become stoic or I don't know, maybe it's because, hey, they're paying me all this money and I need to come across as smart and I don't want to drop my guard by being all emotional. Whatever the reason is, I hear leaders all the time step up and tell a story without putting any emotional content in it at all. And it doesn't work. It, it's flat. So we we need this emotional content. It's funny. The, the so the the NASA session I was telling you about. There was another scientist. It, it was a senior scientist, and we, we we were actually talking about the why I'm here origin stories. And he he finally got to this really lovely story about what brought him to Earth science. And he was talking about how frustrated he was teaching at Berkeley and teaching abstract things and that he, he went for a walk on the beach at midnight uh, there in the Bay Area. And he, he felt the sand under his feet. 
and he became just engrossed by the complexity of sand. And he said that was the moment that he realized he wanted to go into earth science because it was science you can touch. That's 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 what he said. It's science I can touch. Isn't that lovely? And so he 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 was telling this really lovely story of why I'm here. But the thing that was cool about that was in our next session together. You know, that was like on a Wednesday. On Thursday, we came back together, and he goes, um, "Dave, it was really interesting in our session yesterday. Remember that story I told about you know walking on the sand?" He said, "My my wife was." You know, kind of eavesdropping. You know, she was outside my office. I didn't know she was standing out there. And she came up to me afterwards and said, sweetheart, I haven't heard you talk like that in years. And I was like, so storytelling helped your marriage, right? And he said, yes, <laughs> yes, it did. And and so even his, you know, he and his wife were both surprised by the power of re-engaging the heart. And you know what I was thinking about, Dave, uh, before we started talking is that, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, leadership started out as a love story. I mean, most of us, we're, we're doing what we're doing because there was something we believed or there was something we were excited about, something that brought us here. And, you know, maybe it's when we were younger or when we were students and maybe we've lost touch with that. And so what if we brought that back? You know, what if we re-engaged with that love or with that emotion or that feeling and we invited that back into our leadership? And what the senior scientist found is that story does that. Simply using this language that is narrative has this way of reconnecting us back to ourselves, reconnecting mind and heart and spirit, and whether we intend for it to or not, all of that comes out when we tell these stories. I'm so glad you said this, because I think about this often, too, that a lot of us when we were young really had this desire and passion to say, hey, I want to change the world and do something that's really meaningful and purposeful in my life. And now, ironically, so many of us who are part of this community, me and so many of our listeners, are in places where we have a lot of influence and power to be able to actually change the world. And yet, we sometimes don't see that on a daily basis. We don't tap into that. And you found a way with that scientist to help to just open the door a little bit to the emotion piece. And I think that it's there. It's right under the surface for most of us, but we don't stop to think about it and bring it up. When you run into that situation and someone is trying to put together a story and they really, their heart's in it, they want to do it well, but they don't quite crack into the emotion. What do you find is something that is helpful just to start to bring out that emotion, that purpose, that heart that's already there, but to actually have it emerge? So here's one pro tip that can help. And, and for especially for leaders who are reluctant to do this or leaders who say, you know what, Dave, I'm not like you. You're, you're a pretty you know, extroverted guy. You're a pretty emotional guy. I don't want to be like you. And I, and I tell them, yeah, you don't have to be like me. You, you don't have to get all emotional when you tell a story. A lot of people don't want to do that. But I do tell them, say emotion words. Even if you don't want to change your face, if that's not your style to to smile or extrovert your voice, say the words, say emotion words. I've seen leaders step up completely stoic, you know, without changing their expression. You know, they'll they'll talk about the dignity of the team 
and how proud I am of what the team has accomplished. And so they'll, they'll say the emotion words, and it's still powerful. And we need those words because as soon as I say pride or dignity, you know what those feelings feel like. You've, you, have, you have felt pride and dignity before, right? When I say those words, you feel them somewhere in your body. You, you evoke them. And now I know what your message feels like. You've given me an emotional context for interpreting these words that are coming out of your mouth. And we need these. We need this emotional context for, for sense-making. Otherwise, we don't know quite what it means. So, so what I say to leaders is, say the words. You know, I was excited. The team was sad. The client was mad. Just say the words so that we know what it feels like so that we can interpret your message. What a great invitation. And and there's a distinction there between saying the words and you don't have to get emotional, right? In fact, maybe sometimes it's helpful not to get emotional, but to just actually say the words and acknowledge them gets you to a place where people say, oh, Okay, I see the connection now. I see that bigger purpose. And that is such, it's such a different place than not bringing in the emotion at all, isn't it? And it's acknowledging that organizations are emotional systems. You know, I see leaders making the mistake over and over again of assuming that their, their system is a rational system. So that's why they keep showing up with slides. That's why they keep showing up with data is, oh, the system is stuck. They must need more data. Let me explain this more. But very often, the reason the system is stuck and not moving is because it's people and it's emotion and people don't want to move because it's scary and it feels bad. So we need this language that, that, is, uh, that can speak to the emotional system. And narrative and story is the language that, that best lets you do that. I'm glad you mentioned this, too, because this is one of the other objections. I hear from people a bunch. You call it out in the book, and it's that, okay, I get this. I'm happy to lean into the storytelling. I'm happy to lean into the emotion. No problem. But my boss or my customer is a numbers person. They don't want the emotion. They don't want to hear the story. They just want to hear the bottom line. When you hear that from someone and they're in that situation, how do you help them navigate that? I hear that all the time. Uh, since I'm working with a lot of science and technology and data organizations, that comes up every single time. Hey, Dave, I love this stuff. I love what you're saying about story, but the people around me just want me to get to the point. Yeah, you know what? I kind of want you to get to the point also. And so the, 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 the bad belief here is that data people don't do story, which is not true at all. I mean, data is a story. Right. If if I show you that little financial graph and the line is way up here and then suddenly it plummets and goes way down there. And I say, hey, what happened right here? Why was it up there? And why did it go down there? My response to you is going to be story. Right. So so story is data. I heard one person say story is just data with a human soul to it. So even when we're talking about data, we still need context. We still need stories. Now, your, your data boss or customer may not have much patience for the long story or the meandering story. You know, they want you to be very intentional and get there quickly, but you should still tell the story. And this comes back to what we talked about around strategic intent, right? If the story is told with intention and you have the, why did I tell you this story? I don't think I've ever seen someone do that well and tell a concise story and have 
and see anyone push back on that, even the hard data people. It seems like, if anything, that actually is really helpful on engaging people more on the numbers and the the people who tend to look at things more from the data mindset, they just get further in there. And it, it's it, it's not an either or here. It's more of an and, isn't it? You know, what if we switch the word storytelling for context? You know, if I'm a data person and I, or if you're data and I say, would you like more context? Well, yeah, that's part of sense making. Okay, let me tell you the story then so that you've got the context that you need. Yeah, indeed. The fourth mistake you say leaders make is just expecting it to just happen. And you say it's not it's not just going to happen. You really do have to be intentional about developing story as a capability and as a team capability. What's behind that and how do you do that? So, if you know, for your leaders who are listening to our conversation, if they're bought in and if they're going, "Oh, I love this." I love what you're saying. Yes, yes. I'm going to tell stories. You're right. I should be doing this. I'm going to go do this. And then they just sort of kind of think about it. You know, it's not going to happen. I, I think you're going to be disappointed if you if you just think to yourself, I should be doing this. And that's why, I mean, this is why I have a job is, is this, there's some skill building, there's some behavior change, there, there's some culture piece to this as well. And there's some intentionality. And that's the whole idea behind Story Dash. You know, if if you have a message coming up, if you're if you're about to meet with a new client, or if you're bringing a new innovation or a new offering to the market, or internally to your team, or if you're trying to align people to a strategy, part of that project plan should include some time to find and develop the narrative assets. The, the value-holding stories that will engage people in this message where you're inviting them to believe or feel or do something different. And so build time in for that. And that's the idea of, of Story Dash is it will lead you through the process so that you can facilitate uh, your team identifying the narrative assets, developing them, telling them to each other, and then connecting them to your message. It's a lot of fun. It's a really cool process to bring the team together and tell stories to each other about the work that you care about so that you can then bring them forward. So that's that's the focus of what I do is helping leaders be very intentional to develop these stories and connect them to the work that they care about. And the thing that is really uh, powerful about this is you, you cite so many examples of it, institutions, organizations, leaders who have done this with such success. One of many of the examples you cite in the book is Jeff Bezos at Amazon, and he has been extraordinarily intentional, um, if not directive, on the power of storytelling, especially at the executive level and in many of their meetings and conversations. And he's even, I think, gone as far as outline PowerPoint, and they're really intentional about this, aren't they? I mean, if, if you aspire to senior leadership at Amazon, then there is an expectation that you will build story capability. Yeah, he, he, he made a statement to his team where he said, you can't bring PowerPoint to senior level strategy meetings anymore. No more PowerPoints. I, I didn't hire the smartest people in the business so that we could all stare at, at an Excel spreadsheet together, right? Instead, bring your stories. What's happening? What are you seeing what do you think it means? And then institutionalizing this, 
making it part of the process, making it an expectation, and then building the skill around that. And that's what Story Dash will help you do. Yeah, and it's it it's really interesting. Like, and and just uh, you know, pulling the thread on the Amazon example a bit. I mean, it's not just in those meetings live. It's the prep work that goes into that the weeks before of senior leaders working on stories, sharing them with each other. I mean, so much of the process you take organizations through in your workshops and in StoryDash, I mean, it's really, like you say in the book, it's institutionalizing this as a way of doing work that's just as important as all of the time and effort that so many organizations put into the Excel spreadsheets and the PowerPoint decks. And all that's important, right? Um, The data is really, really important. And being able to put the story along with it so powerful at being able to get the message across. So I will hope that folks will grab the Story Dash book and use it as a framework for storytelling. Um, you've really made this so intuitive and easy. And the other thing that I love that you do, David, is you're always so generous with providing resources. There's a ton of PDF downloads that uh, come with the book that you have linked up in there that help you to figure out how to tell stories and provide examples. Um, and and it references, by the way, one of my favorite resources from you is the story deck cards, which I'll link to in the episode notes. I think it should be on every leader's desk. It's on my desk all the time. I'm uh, actually going to be using it in the coming months for inspiration on some of the questions I'm asking to our members and our clients, because it's just it's so well thought through and such a useful framework for people to be able to uh, access this and make it accessible. And you have offered to do something which I tried to talk you out of last time, (laughs) which was last time you were on, you said, hey, I'm happy to pass along my email address for folks who would like to reach out and ask questions. And I said, well, I don't know if that's a good idea because you might get a lot of email. And you did. And you were so gracious to respond, I think, to everyone who reached out to you with resources and ideas. And um, I thought that uh, you offered to do that again. And I think that is just wonderfully gracious of you. And I thought it might be fun to see, like, what would people reach out and tell you? And one of the things might be just what they heard that was valuable from this conversation. But what what do you think, David? I love that, Dave. So, Yes, I do have a resource that I'm happy to share with you. So one, of course, is the Leadership Story Deck. You'll find that in the the show notes and on my website. The free uh, resource that I'll share with you, if you reach out to me, is called the Story Canvas. And it's a, a framework, a visual framework for constructing your strategic narrative messages. And we talked about you know, being very intentional, you know, the, the the statement that you make at the end of the story, there's a reason I told you this story. Well, that's on the canvas. So this is a way of being strategic and defining your message. Once you fill in that box, it's labeled, and now we know, you know, it's at the end of the story. And now we know there's a reason I told you this. So you fill that in with sticky notes, and then you can work backwards and construct a story that will get you to that outcome. So it's a visual framework for building your stories called the story canvas. If you send me an email, and I think you'll put it in the the show notes, but uh, the email address is david at davidhutchins.com. And Hutchins is spelled with an E-N-S, not an I-N-S. David at davidhutchins.com. Send me an email. I love your idea, Dave. Tell me something from this conversation that stood out for you or that was interesting to you. And then I'll respond and I'll send you the story canvas in PDF format, absolutely free. 
I so appreciate you just uh, allowing folks to reach out to you directly. Um, it's just a wonderful personal touch. Thank you for doing that last time. And the Story Canvas is a wonderful resource, so I hope folks will take you up on that. And of course, the link and all the email will be in the episode notes in this week's weekly leadership guide, so be watching for that. David Hutchins is the author of Story Dash, Find, Develop, and Activate Your Most Valuable Business Stories in Just a Few Hours. David, so grateful for your work. Always fun. Thank you so much, Dave. If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them's episode 148, one of the earlier times we had David on the show. The title of that episode was The Four Critical Stories Leaders Need for Influence. One of the things David's wonderful about in his work is crafting outlines of typical stories that leaders would need to tell. There's dozens and dozens in his library in the story deck, which we mentioned in this conversation. And we looked at four of them in detail, the four most common ones in episode 148. And you, uh, if you listen to that, you'll hear what are some of the key things you need to have part as that of that story. And then once you know the framework and the outline, you can take your own experience, the own culture of your organization and craft the story that works well for you. So episode 148 is a great starting point for that. I'd also recommend episode 450. Nancy Duarte was my guest on that episode, and the title was The Way to Influence Executives. We talked about messaging and the importance of story in combination with data and numbers, as David and I talked about a bit in this conversation conversation as well. In fact, Nancy's book, most recent one, is called Data Story. And in that conversation, we talked about how to utilize storytelling to get the message across, how to influence executives well. So many great practical tools that Nancy has for us in that episode. Again, that's episode number 450. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 521, The Way to Earn Attention with Raja Rajamanar. He is the chief marketing officer at MasterCard. He joined me earlier this year to talk about the new era of marketing, what he's seen in the industry, what so many others are seeing. A lot has changed in the last 10 to 15 years about how organizations market. And we talked a lot about the tactics that work today. Guess what? Of course, one of them is storytelling. Uh, episode 521 for all the details on that and so much more. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. In fact, one of the topic areas under the episode library is storytelling. Many of these episodes are filed under there, many other episodes with David over the years, and of course, many other experts as well. If this is top of mind for you right now as a leader of communicating more effectively through storytelling, that's a great place to start. And if you haven't seen set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. I'm inviting you to do that so you can have access to the entire library of episodes since 2011 that are searchable by topic. You know, once in a while, someone reaches out to me by email and they say, hey, could you include a list of all the episodes by episode number in order on the website? And I usually write back and I say, you know, that actually is on all the podcast apps already. B virtually every app in the world supports getting the show by uh, chronological order. And as a result, we've we've gone the other way on the website because I actually think it's more useful to you of being able to find the topic that you need now, whether it's management skills, whether it's difficult conversations, whether it's talent management or networking or career growth, all of those are topic areas on the website. And you can find the topic that's going to match up with what you're looking for right now. So that's a great reason for setting up your free membership. Plus, you'll get access to my weekly leadership 
membership guide each week, the member cast, all of the free audio courses, and a ton more inside the library there, coachingforleaders.com to set all of that up. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Liz Wiseman back to the show. She has a new book out teaching us how to become better impact players. If you have been identified as a high potential leader, or perhaps you are working with others in the organization to support those who are high potential leaders, this conversation will be so helpful to you and to others to support them in being impact players inside the organization. Join me for that conversation with Liz next Monday, and we'll see you then.